Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah. The charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh-oh. Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Save big money in your next project with help from Menards. Move water where you need it quickly with a Barracuda sump pump. Sump pumps keep your basement dry when big storms hit unexpectedly. Get a half-horsepower cast-iron Barracuda sump pump on sale now through May 5th. Hurry into Menards and don't forget to check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil. Are you okay? Are you alright? I don't know if I am because this is getting nuts and there's so much going on in the news cycle and so many terrifying things are being snuck in. I'm seeing more stuff about pro-life. I think Donald Trump this week tweeted like, pro-life, vote. Um, if you are pro-life, then you will vote for the people that want to help the lives of those already living. And so I feel very strongly about the fact that we accept that pro-life doesn't just apply to fetuses. It applies to immigrants. It applies to those who need healthcare. It applies to trans people. It applies to black people, people of colour. That is what pro-life actually means. I feel like a lot of what we hear is pro-birth, and, you know, we covered this a lot last week on Gloria Steinem's episode, which was so remarkable. And thank you so much for the ways in which you've reached out. I really love the fact that you guys enjoyed it. And you also enjoyed hearing two very outspoken and firm feminists disagree with each other very kindly and respectfully, but still, you know, never necessarily backing down. I think we need more of that discourse and more of proof that women are capable of disagreement without it being like a bitchy cat fight or anyone crying or ending up in a 15-year grudge. Um, big love to Gloria Steinem for everything that she told us last week. But I just, having just gone through with that episode and then seeing what's happening in the news cycle this week is just bananas to me. Um, anyway, so that's fucked. Be very careful about not listening to people who are saying that you shouldn't vote. You should vote. I understand that the previous system is so far from perfect, but at least it's a system. If we don't vote now, there will be potentially no system as of November 3rd. I'm not supposed to be political, but I think we have to be political. We cannot stay out of these things. And even though I cannot vote in America, I I, I beg of you to vote for me. <laughs> Please just go out and vote. Even if we don't share the same political beliefs, just please go out and vote and make sure that you are voting for the lives of the living people who are here. And remember that the first things that will be attacked is trans rights are the rights of those who have disabilities or people who are vulnerable when it comes to their health, uh, women, reproductive rights, and and all people of colour. So just really think about it and don't listen to the online chit chat that has become much trendier lately of the people who quote Karl Marx and they say, you know, there's no point, like we shouldn't have to pick between the lesser of two evils. We do have to pick. This time, 
We really have to pick between the lesser of two evils. So I'm just urging you to participate and and make the most of what potentially could be our last right to vote and make a decision. Um, I myself had a had a bit of a wild week. I got to speak at Congress. That was really, honestly, one of the more exceptional moments of my entire life. And uh, I was campaigning against weight stigma in schools. So for kids to not have to grow up and end up with all of the toxic messaging that we have ended up with and a bit more kind of social media literacy in schools, that was was a really big deal for me. And I, I can't stress enough that I wouldn't be able to do something like that without all of you. So a massive thank you to those of you who support me and who support I Weigh, because without all of the noise that you make behind or with or alongside me or over me, I wouldn't be able to push the buttons that I'm able to push and be involved in the change that I'm able to be involved in. And so, again, I just want to remind you of your tremendous power, the power of your involvement, your engagement, your voting, um, the power of you really throwing your whole weight behind something that you care about. You're so effective and magical and look how far I weigh has been able to come in the last two years. Uh, it's it's bananas how, how lucky we have been to be able to have such an extraordinary community of such, of such fierce followers and listeners and fellow fighters. So big love to you. We also got nominated for a People's Choice Award, which is really sweet for this podcast. So if you like it, you can vote for us. But obviously, um, that's not the most important thing I want you to vote for this month. So if you've got time after you vote for the other thing, you can maybe vote for the People's Choice Award. Um, anyway, I'm, I know that that's a somber start to the day. There's a lot of shit going on and I don't want to gloss over it as if it doesn't matter because nothing has ever mattered more than some of these things this week and I just can't help but want to consistently thank you and remind you of how powerful you are and even if sometimes you feel like one small individual you're not you're part of a massive army of tremendous change and so few things that are good would happen without all of you so with all of this going on in my mind and going on in the world I wanted someone smarter and better than me to come on and talk to me about this and and plenty of other things that I just simply don't know enough about yet. I asked Professor Ibram Kendi, who is a wonderful speaker and writer and and organiser, to come onto the show to talk to me about voter suppression, about the importance of voting, about why young people have been disenfranchised or yeah, they've been demotivated from from actually participating in a system that that could potentially protect their their democracy and we talk about what it's like to be a black man in America and and also one of the things that i find the most interesting about his work is his approach which is unlike one i've seen that has reached the mainstream the way it has because this man is just an ultimate new york times bestseller his book how to be an anti-racist just keeps rising up and down up and down all the way up to the top and has become a very like massive part of our our nationwide discussion but he talks about racism as a transient thing. He talks about it as something that you are diagnosed with, that you have to cure. He believes you can cure racism. He believes that because he considers himself to be a reformed racist. He re he, he talks about his own past as an anti-black young black man. And because he himself has gone through the journey of reform and registered actually that you can educate yourself, you can change and you can fight on the right side, he now believes that anyone is capable of that shift and of that change. And the reason I think that is so important is because we have become more afraid 
of being called racist than of racism itself. Because our ego is hurt or because we are terrified that it is a tattoo, it's an identity forever, like we're this terrible monster forever, we we shut down any kind of conversation around it and we also interrupt our own ability to be self-reflective. And that is so dangerous. We all, all human beings are capable of some sort of bias. All human beings are just a product of their environment and ignorance and evil are not always the same thing. We all are capable of progress and change. And I think his way of looking at bias as something that is transient, something that is a disease to be cured, that then you can be free from and in remission from forever is actually hopeful. It's actually progressive. It says that there is value in doing the work and that you can genuinely change on the inside and become a good person. So I hope you enjoy what he has to say. I really think you should read his work. I'm also excited to share that he's publishing a journal called Be Anti-Racist, which is on sale this week. That'll help serve as a workbook for readers as they continue the ongoing everyday work of striving to be anti-racist. I really like this man. I really support the way in which he speaks. I see the way that he has to take on so much criticism and he does it with such grace and thoughtfulness and understanding. We also talk about that a little bit in this episode, but I'm dying to hear what you think. And if ever there was a time where we have to lean into this conversation, it's now. So please enjoy the excellent Professor Ibram Kendi. Dr. Ibram Kendi, thank you so much for taking the time out of maybe one of the busiest years of your entire life to speak to me today. How are you? Oh, thank you for having me. It has been intense, to say the least. Yeah, I uh, I, I truly can't imagine. Um, I want to briefly, but not in a gross, crass way, just congratulate you on the immense success of your book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, and how prevalent it has become this year and within our culture and how much your rhetoric and just generally your work have has kind of penetrated our generation and so thank you for that but also a mild congratulations and yet at the same time a complete horror that it's necessary in 2020 i can't imagine the the mixed feelings of that <laughs> That's precisely what it is. It's, it's certainly mixed. I mean, you, 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 you do, of course, you, I write books for, for people to, to read them and take them seriously and also hopefully transform themselves. But, but at the same time, knowing that, that some people and not many people have been ushered towards my books and other books, you know, because of the sort of murders of people this year, um, you know, certainly that, that makes it sort of bitter. Mm -hmm. I, um, before I get into talking about your tremendous work and all the things that you have coming up next year that kind of continue it, I just wanted to ask you what it feels like right now to be a black man in America. What does that feel like? I've heard all of the kind of I've heard so many intellectual things said on Twitter by every, by so many different people. But I think that the thing that we forget once we get into kind of critical race theory, et cetera, and, you know, all these things that I've heard you speak about so eloquently is how the fuck do you feel right now? 
I think to be black, to be a black man in America and just like a black woman and, and conscious of, of anti of, of racism is to know that you can be murdered at any point is, is to be is to know that you can be blamed for your for someone else murdering you, um, you know, is, is, is to know that you won't be or in many cases you won't be protected by the state. Um, that you know that even policymakers and powerful people will stomp on your grave um, and use you to, to to advance in their political careers. You know, it, it's to know that really you live in a country that that and you live among many people who who can care less about you. And you and I have spoken before, and you were telling me that you know there's a there's you grow up with a stigma of watching people make a presumption of you just by looking at your face and you see, you know, women or people cross the road when you are behind them at night. And I, I cannot imagine how that feels, but I am very, very, I'm very sorry to know that that's a, a part of an existence that you've lived in. And I'm excited for your children to not grow up in a similar world. And that's the hope. I mean, because, you know, I know, that for many racist Americans, when they see me, they see danger. Mm. And, and, you know, and so, you know, how does it feel to be danger embodied when <laughs> you certainly are, are, are not dangerous is, is certainly difficult. And, and, and so I, I think some black men go out of the way to make sure that people don't feel scared sort of around them. Mm. You know, I don't, I, I just try to go about my day and, and be who I'm going to be. And if I'm walking down the street or even running down the street and, and someone gets scared then that's their problem, not mine. Yeah. Can you just explain what it is to be an anti-racist? What is an anti-racist? To be anti-racist is to believe there's nothing wrong with any of the racial groups. There's nothing wrong with Black people. There's nothing wrong with, with Latinx people. There's nothing wrong with, with, with Native or Asian. There's, there's really nothing wrong with these groups of people. Mm-hmm. Um, just like there's nothing right about white people. Um, and, and to be anti-racist is to then look out at our society of all these racial disparities, you know, black people are more likely to be in prison or they're more likely to be impoverished or Latinx people are more likely to be infected with with COVID-19 than white people. And since the cause of it is not because there's something wrong with these people, you know that the cause is, is, is racist policy. There's something about our conditions, our society you know, our governing structure that is leading to these injustices and to be anti-racist is to be aware of that and to fight that, to create, you know, equality and justice for all. Mm -hmm. When you and I were first going to sit down and have this conversation, it was like April and the world (laughs) was not at all aware of the concept of anti-racism, whereas I feel like now, thank God, it has become a much more mainstream part of our conversation to the point where, I mean, uh, you now have very powerful um, idiots uh, saying that it should not be a part of our, you know, (laughs) kind of, I don't know, social curriculum 
to talk about anti-racism. Oh, yeah. But one of the things that I find so interesting about your work is, is that you introduce your work and the journey of becoming an anti-racist uh, via talking about your own previous history of racism, of anti-blackness. And while I know you've probably spoken about it a thousand times, I do think it's a very interesting thing for people to hear about because the way in which you have discussed this subject and the way in which you have described racism as a diagnosis rather than a tattoo and described it as something that you can rid from yourself, you can remove from who you are rather than then be kind of like forever doomed to be this terrible, awful, disgusting thing. You can you can treat the disease of racism. I think I think you having been someone yourself who went through that journey is is incredibly helpful. And so would you tell me a bit about that, about being a young man who who was anti black? Yeah, I came of age in the nineteen eighties and especially the nineteen nineties. And if there was ever a decade in, in American history where Black youth were considered the problem, the American problem, mm. it was the 1990s. That's when Black youth were called a menace to society. That's why we had a, you know, there was a famous movie called Menace to Society. That's mm. when Black youth were considered super predators. That's when Black youth were were told, particularly black girls, that they were having too many babies because they wanted to get more welfare. That's when, you know, black youth were told, we were told our hip hop was making us hypersexual and violent. Uh, that's when black youth were told we didn't value education. And, and essentially all of these ideas were essentially creating this extremely toxic environment for any black young person to grow up in. Mm-hmm. And, and, and not only toxic, you know, as far as, you know, a, a sort of a toxicity of refusing to recognize all of the policies that were ensnaring Black youth, youth. Instead, people were blaming the sort of victims of those policies. But even the toxicity in which, you know, in many ways, some of us, namely me, ended up believing some of those ideas that there was something wrong with Black youth. In other words, you 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 raise us in a toxic environment. We're going to get sick too. And right? you, yeah, and you mentioned that your parents as well were worried that you would be the kind of the wrong kind of black youth. Well, yeah, I mean, my um, you know, I think my parents, like other people who moved from working class or even poverty into the black middle class in in the nineteen eighties, some of those black middle income people imagined that they had moved into the black middle class because they worked so hard and they were so brilliant. And those other, you know, still writhing black people in poverty, it's because they hadn't worked as hard. Mm. Um, and so that there was, again, something wrong with black poor people. And, and so, you know, and, and so, you know, I needed to sort of, so, you know, by the time I, I graduated high school, I had consumed all these ideas of, of anti-blackness and, and I, you know, expressed many of them in a, in a senior, in a speech I gave as a senior in high school at an MLK competition. I really, and that's where the book really begins, How to Be an Anti-Racist, mm. with that speech. And and it really begins there and, and ends up really tracking my journey to really heal myself, you know, of 
these this form of anti-blackness. But again, I wasn't born that way. I was raised in a toxic environment, a to- mm-hmm. an environment of anti-blackness. Um, and, and I ended up sort of becoming diseased and I had to spend the rest of my life really seeking to, to heal myself from that. You know, at the same time that the, the nation and the environment stayed toxic. And I think that's what made it hard. That's why it's hard to be anti-racist. That's why it's easy to be racist in this racist society. How did you begin the journey? What was your wake up call for recognizing that you had been polluted by false, just lies about your people as if they are a monolith even, and as if they are this dangerous thing that they've been, you know, demonized as. What's striking is really, it started 20 years ago, almost to the day. Mm. 20 years ago, almost to the day, I was a, I was a freshman in college and I was in Tallahassee, Florida. And for those of you who may, may, may not remember that, of course, that was during a presidential election. And many people knew that the election between George W. Bush and Al Gore was going to come down to who won Florida. And, you know, after, and I should say on election day and certainly days after, again, I was thinking there was something wrong with, with, with black people, but, but I was struck by all these stories that I heard from other students at Florida A&M and, and certainly what was happening to their parents back home, because many of those students were from Florida, from Florida, you know, communities about how their votes were being spoiled, about how their votes were being suppressed. And, and so for me, it became undeniable <laughs> voter suppression and how widespread it was in the 2000 election. And, and it became undeniable that racism <laughs> was a problem. And, and so I think for me, you know, experiencing the 2000 election and, and the, you know, incredible number of black people whose votes were suppressed. And, and of course, ultimately, George W. Bush winning the state by a few hundred votes um, and ultimately, the presidency was really the beginning of my journey. Mm. Christ, I can't believe we're still here. <laughs> oh, fuck. That's so terrifying. Like, just the parallels are so terrifying. Mm-hmm. So, what was your first step? I think my first step was seeing, at least for me, it was seeing that, that racism. But the, mm-hmm. I think ultimately... It, the, the, my sort of steps were really coming to grips with what racism truly is. What and, is it? And I, I think, well, and I, what I mean by that is how we're defining it, right? And, and so I ended up, you know, I didn't really know that I was defining it then, but, but ultimately the way we can define racism is, is a powerful collection of, of racist policies that lead to racial inequities and are substantiated by by racist ideas. And, and I think in order for us to become aware of racism, mm. we have to know what racism is, right? In order for us to become aware of anything, we have to know what it is first, right? And so really for many of us, that's why the book was anchored in so many definitions, clear definitions, so people can understand, um, you know, what different aspects of racism truly is. And I suppose, I imagine like having seen it, leave your body and leave your psyche 
made you more hopeful that other people, including people who are not black, would be capable of also distancing themselves from those nonsenses that you yourself well, once held? Yeah, and I think that's another reason, I think, why people have, have gravitated to, to, to my book, uh, you know, and others like it, is, is, is that it's one thing for us, for people to try to get themselves to believe that I need to stop believing that there's something wrong with black people. Yeah. It, 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 you know, it's another thing for, for, for us to teach people the affirmative of what they should be believing. So, you know, as opposed to being like, you know, stop believing in racial hierarchy. We should be encouraging people to start believing that the racial groups are equals. Um, and, and I, because what that, that, is going to literally, it, it's a completely different perspective that not only do you drive in the, drive out the previous idea, but you bring in a new perspective that then can guard against the toxicity that we talked about earlier. Mm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week, you know, as you're bottling things up, because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel, you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to. And this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week. You just have this complete freedom. Honestly, I think everyone should have therapy, regardless of whether they think they need it, because it's so amazing to have a confidant. It's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Start clean with Clorox. Because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah. The charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. I see so many people engaging in um, frustrating discourse with you lately. 
Am I, uh, is it fair for me to say that? I find you oh, so reasonable. I find you so highly thoughtful and reasonable. And I'm sure no human on this earth is perfect or appeals to absolutely everyone. But, you know, I follow you closely on Twitter and I've seen you sort of just lately just sort of stop responding as much because people have been in a way that I can very much so relate to myself. But interestingly, even mm-hmm. people from within your own community, I've noticed, have taken issue with your work. And I don't understand why. <laughs> what um, What would you say is behind this? Because I've just found it so con- just confusing and exhausting to watch because in, from where I am standing as an outsider, it just seems to me that you are doing such good and progressive and helpful work. Where do you mm-hmm. think this negativity has been coming from? Well, I mean, when you talk about sort of um, the far right um, and particularly far right white Americans who are, and, and even um, you, you 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 have their approach to anti-racism historically has been to discredit and destroy those who are articulating, um, you know, an anti-racist perspective, mm-hmm. and 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 to figure out ways to to do so, typically by completely misrepresenting what the person is saying and then sort of parroting that out and then challenging that. So, you know, that's to be expected. You certainly have many black conservatives who have really thrived. Uh, Let me say black conservatives who for decades have been saying, these are all the things that are inferior about black people. These are all the things that are wrong with black people. Yeah. They like to bring up the statistic that like most black men are killed by other black men in America, et cetera. And then they never, they always, this is the thing that, that frustrates me. I'm not, I'm not denying whatever statistics they may perhaps bring forward, but with statistics to, to not use context is so wholly irresponsible and just feels quite unacademic to not bring up the the systemic inequity, the living conditions, the ways in which people are being um, pushed into corners by white supremacists and by the government and by social structures, to not acknowledge that when when discussing these uh, statistics, because you know it will confirm that there is a racial bias in this country, just feels so irresponsible. Well, I mean, I, I think for for folks on the right, I mean, you know, they're going to use statistics to substantiate their idea that there's something wrong with black people as opposed to the policies that they're supporting. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, and so continuing, I mean, you know, like I said, when you have, um, you know, black conservatives who for years have been trafficking in anti-blackness, when I stand up and say, well, actually uh, you're being racist too, when other people are saying they can't be racist because they're black, they're not going to like me. <laughs> they yeah. actually prefer the perspective that they can't be racist because they know white supremacists in particular view them as having more credibility uh, within that type of intellectual uh, environment where apparently black people can't be racist and all black people are experts on racism. Yeah. But when we discredit that, um, it undermines their positionality. And so they're very upset at me. Then you also have many people who who haven't read my book, but they've heard 
you know, someone else say something about it. Um, and so they, you know, if you don't really read the book, um, I can see how people can think all types of things, you know, about it. And I've, I actually, uh, so I, for some, I'm not going to respond to somebody who's critical, you know, of, of, of my book that they haven't read, that mm-hmm. I'm just not going <laughs> to, you know, I'm just not going to do that. Um, and, and, and so I think those have been the three biggest sort of groups, mm. um, that have been most sort of angry, um, and and obviously, I, I think among those who have actually taken the time to really, you know, read the book um, or open, been open, you know, I suspect they may not think that my work is perfect. No, no one's is, but they know um, or they can see how it can be certainly helpful. Yeah. You said on Twitter recently, we should take it as a compliment when people attack us personally or when they misrepresent uh, what we say because or our work, because that means that they can't challenge what we are actually saying or writing or meaning or doing. And you advise people to take the compliment uh, with grace and to move on. And that uh, that tweet went really viral because I think it resonated with a lot of people, especially those of us who are out here in this space, risking our careers and our reputation and not sleeping and not spending time with our families and consistently fighting for equality and then just being sort of like nitpicked to death by people who are deliberately misunderstanding everything that we say. And it is something that yeah. I, it's something that I frequently, I frequently uh, deal with nowhere near as much as I have support. And I also like, I, I hate it when people do this. So please know that while I'm talking about some backlash that Professor Kendi like, is receiving, it's, it's nothing compared to the mass support and like growth and progress of his work. It's just something that I would like to bring up. Same thing with me. I have mass support and progress, but these things are frustrating to sometimes have to waste your time with. And it's not to say that people can't criticize because they, they should and they must and they can and they will. Lately, and I'd love to know how you feel about this, attacking me when you're on the same side as me and deliberately taking me out of context or or deliberately insinuating you understand my intention when I'm writing and therefore you cannot infer my tone feels like low-hanging fruit rather than actually organising against the Proud Boys or against people who are taking away reproductive rights or who are actively trying to harm people from different ethnic backgrounds. For me, I, I sometimes I sometimes feel confused by people taking the energy to pile onto, to quote retweet, to signal boost something that they have projected a meaning onto that necessar- didn't necessarily exist, rather than attack those who are explicitly and defiantly trying to um, take the rights away of others. Do you know what I mean? I, I really do, and I, it, the other day I. So uh, that, you know, Ava DuVernay uh, tweeted after Trump was diagnosed with COVID that she, 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 she said, you know, she, she wished him to get well, but then she also spoke about uh, all of the atrocities that he's brought to sort of the world. Mm. Um, and, and so someone sort of, attacked her by saying, are you insane? How could you wish the person well who was, you know, behind, you know, what happened to the 
to the Central Park Five. And, and, you know, and, you know, of course, Ava responded with grace and, and said that, you know, she's not going to wish death on anyone. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's how she's been taught. And I, I mentioned that, you know, because, you know, for somebody to, I could see, right, there, there have been people who, you know, simply would just wish the president well, right? And then that's it. But for somebody who, to wish them well, human beings, human beings, and then to critique them and say, but these are all the horrible things you've done. Yeah. And I want to make mention to that. And for, for a person to decide to attack her, as opposed to the people just wishing him well. Yeah. I think is a, is a perfect sort of example of, of, of where people are sort of standing. And, and I, I think also that, you know, to your point, in, in academia, um, there's this sort of term uh, called the armchair intellectual, okay. which is which is essentially like, you know, someone who critiques everybody, critiques movements, critiques organizers, uh, critiques everyone from their chairs, <laughs> doesn't ever go out into the street and organize or challenge power in any sort of direct way. Uh, and they are able to imagine themselves as deeply progressive and radical. Why? Because they're actually not doing anything that can be critiqued in their mind, right? And and I, I mentioned this because, you know, fundamentally, it's just like, you know, there, it's one thing, a critic who has written a book to critique someone else's book. It's another thing for somebody... Um, to just sit back, refuse to produce anything, and and then critique all the folks who are producing, and so that's why for me, I I I want people, and I want to encourage people to be on the side of organizing, to be on the side of producing, to be on the side of creating, mm. to be on the side of directly challenging power, and 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 not really just sitting on their homes on their twitter feeds and critiquing those folks who are actually organizing and producing and creating and who are challenging power we yeah. need you with us yeah share that energy for those share the energy for those who we are all in opposition of right precisely yeah it's uh, ava's been in a lot of hot water in the last week she said last week that um if we, I don't, I'm paraphrasing horribly, um, but she said that, you know, if we don't vote, then in some respect, we will deserve the kind of fascist country that we live with. And people were very upset. I've noticed like a huge uprising of young people talking about the fact that we shouldn't have to. And by the way, I please know that I understand the the emotion behind this, that we shouldn't be stuck with a bipartisan system and we shouldn't have to choose between the lesser of two evils, etc. cetera. Um, but I, I really think that this is a vital time to not allow this to be the moment that you give up on the hope of democracy. And I wonder what you think about that. And I understand where Ava was coming from. She just wants someone who will not even denounce white supremacy in a presidential debate out at any cost, regardless of who the alternative is. Uh, She received a lot of hate over that by people who just feel like they've lost faith in the system whatsoever. And they they think the system was broken beforehand. And indeed it was. But anything surely has to be better than this, right? I mean, what do you think? So, as a Brit who isn't from here, it's not my place to say. It's just what I think, and so I'm I'm asking you. So, 
I think part of the, I think one of the things I think we need to recognize, you know, people would say something like, well, I just, you know, that system is broken. And so therefore, you know, I'm not going to participate in that broken system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how dare you encourage me to participate in that broken system? The problem is that that is that the premise of that is fundamentally flawed. Everyone needs to realize that you are actually participating in the system. So there's no leaving the system. <laughs> there's no mm-hmm. stepping outside of the system. Meaning you're suppressing your not, own vote. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I was just going to say that whether you vote or don't vote, that's going to have an impact. And so it's, it's not as if, for instance, if you say, you know what, it, you know, those two teams are playing this game and, you know, I'm not going to contribute or participate, you know, in the game. And so I'm going to go home. That's actually not the way it actually works. What happens is you're still going to be in the game, <laughs> even if you choose not to dribble the ball, you're still on the court. Mm-hmm. Meaning, whether you vote or don't vote, it's going to have an impact on the outcome. And so I, you know, and that's one of the things I think it's important for people to realize. So I can see if a person was like, you know what? Um, I recognize that by not voting, if I would, you know, let's say if I was to vote, I would vote for a particular candidate. And I recognize by not voting that the other candidate is, is more likely to win. And, and, there, and, and so I am choosing and I'm okay with that. <laughs> Um, and then you give your reason sort of why, you know, that, that is, that, that's a demonstration of you have a consciousness that, that what you're actually doing is going to actually have an impact. But when you create this, this scenario in which now I'm just not participating in this broken system, that's actually, you're actually participating by not participating. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it, I mean, and so it's, I just want people to have a clear understanding of that. And uh, and, and have a clear understanding of how power sort of operates, uh, you know, in this country. Um, and, and I think oftentimes, you know, people do not. I also think that he's deliberately created so much doubt as to the fact that whether or not you vote, will it even matter? Will he even take it into account? Will he even leave if voted out? And I think he's done that deliberately to further kind of... Uh, allow people to think, well, there's no point. And he's done that on purpose. That's the, the exact thing he wants you to think is there's no point. And so by buying into that, you're, you're, you're playing the game. You are very much so participating in the system because you're doing, you're following their exact hope for a guideline. And let me just say, I, I think for many people who imagine themselves as radical, and, and I, I, I say that, who imagine themselves as radical, mm-hmm. I think what Ava spoke to is, in fact, they're deeply conservative. <laughs> in other words, what they actually do or don't do conserves fascism. And, I, and so I think, you know, we need to really, you know, it, it, I think one of the things that I've been trying to encourage people to, to think about, particularly in the realm of being racist or anti-racist, 
is is for them to think about what they're saying and what they're doing and what the impact of that is. Like that's not not how I identify, not what I sort of, you know, who I feel I'm connected to. Fundamentally, what is the impact of this decision? Mm. Is it going to lead to inequity or inequity? Is it going to lead to justice or injustice? Uh, and and I, I think that if, if people were to have that perspective, and this isn't really, you know, necessarily about voting. This is, you know, in general, because to me, you, you also have folks who vote, but don't do anything else, right? They, you know, they, they only vote, but then they despise those young people who don't vote, but who demonstrate, right? Mm. When demonstrations are part of a political process. And so they imagine that they're superior to that young person who doesn't vote, who, but who does, you know, engage in political activism when that's a, you know, it's a, it's a different form of political engagement. I wish that people would do both. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and not sort of look down or disregard others because there are many different forms of political, you know, engagement that we need to be focused on. And certainly just voting and just leaving and then leaving your power in the voting booth is certainly not something that we should be advocating for. There would be no civil rights whatsoever in this country had people only chosen that. And so you're right. I think you're right in that it's important to do both and not look down on one or the other because both are vital. We need to kind of set the system for justice up and then secure it with the vote. So use the protesting and use the demonstrations to set it up and then secure it. Um, I think that's the fairest way of looking at this. And I, I think you're right that no one should really be judging anyone. We should all just be scrapping in together and helping to make sure that we don't. I mean, it's just un, it's unimaginable what's going to happen, you know. Yeah, but but one thing I would say is that is absolutely sort of critical. I wrote an essay earlier this year on um, the ways in which young people in particular are facing all sorts of voter suppression policies. Mm-hmm. Um, Will you break that down for me as an English person? <laughs> oh, so, you know, for instance, so young people in particular are, are facing all sorts of, of voter suppression policies. To give an example, because the United States does not have a uniform voter registration uh, sort of system that's nationwide, if you are a person who, you know, let's say every two years, you move, mm-hmm. then you have to get re-registered in a new state who has a different registration process. And, and young people are more likely to move than older people. So therefore, they're more likely to have to, you know, register in new states. Um, if, if, if you are a young person who does most of your business online and you can't vote online, <laughs> Then yet again, because the United States refuses to allow people to to vote online, to me, that's another way in which the youth vote is is being suppressed. So for me, I'm not I I, I think it's important to encourage, uh, you know, people to be politically active in many different ways. But I think it's even more important to ensure that it's easy for people to vote. <laughs> um, and and I, I think that we can spend much more effective time, making it easier for, for, for every single American, particularly young people and particularly young people of color, uh, who are the really the, the primary victims, you know, of voter suppression, you know, to be able to vote. A hundred percent.
It's going to be a wild, wild ride, isn't it? Um, I wanted to also say that um, I, not on behalf of anyone, obviously, that would be insane. um, But I also uh, have been really glad to see that within your work around anti-racism and calling out the injustices of the, I mean, the legal system of this country, the justice system, as it's called, I quote unquote justice, uh, but also the way that police officers treat black people in America. It's very rare. It's unfortunately still not common enough that we see uh, a cis straight man uh, come out and also keep reminding people of the fact that black women are still not receiving justice and trans women. I haven't seen as many people as I would love to uh, come out and make sure that we are reminded of the, the violence against not just black men. And I, I appreciate you for that work. Have you always been mindful to include those two groups within your work when speaking out? Oh, no. I mean, I, I, in many ways, I had to learn that. Um, I, I, I remember entering into graduate school in African-American studies. And in many ways, my graduate student community, two of the sort of more influential sort of voices were these these two students, Yaba Blay and, 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 and Kyla Story, you know, who went on to become incredible intellectuals. Um, and, and they were simply not going to allow Black women to be uh, demonized or to be removed from the center. And certainly the same thing about, you know, queer, um, queer Black people and certainly transgender folks. And so, you know, for me, and, and if anyone, uh, you know, came to an event or during a, you know, uh, you know, a, a lecture uh, or during a conference, um, you know, if, whenever a sort of a form of patriarchy or homophobia showed up, they showed up to challenge. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, it was really, you know, their challenge to my sexism and, and homophobia Um was was just critical in, in me beginning the sort of process. And certainly I voraciously read many of the Black feminists and queer writers that they cited when they would, um, you know, uh, and, and, and I've been sort of continuing to sort of read and try to over, try to, trying to sort of overcome this ingrained patriarchy and and transphobia and and certainly homophobia and I think it's it's going to be a process and it, and it remains a process for me. I am um, I know I respect you for uh, like for admitting to that, but then again, I it's kind of consistent with your body of work of just calling out your own like diagnosing your own things that you need to unlearn uh, because of our society. Do you get pushback when you are supporting Black trans people who are being also murdered by the police or you know being disenfranchised and marginalised? Oh yeah, I mean, there's, I and I, 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 you know, I've certainly gotten pushback from from black men who who think I spend too much time speaking out against racism that's affecting, uh, you know, black women or black transgender wow. uh, women, um, and and so you know, I, I'm I'm really getting it from all sides. Um, <laughs> You're <and>, right. <laughs> 
got someone but, to hug at home? This <laughs> is so stressful. You know, but I mean, it, it is what it is. I mean, yeah. you know, there's certainly there, there is there are men um, who who imagine to be to be human is to be man. And so when they think of human rights, they're thinking about rights for men, just like there there um, are women who when they think of women's rights, they really think of white women's rights. And so they're really not fighting for the the rights of um of of, of women of color uh just like they're 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 black men who think black men uh are black people uh who think black cisgender heterosexual men are are black people and so we should be fighting for those specific black people and that their lives matter that black transgender women's lives you know, don't matter. And and so they're certainly going to resist me or anyone like me who is no indeed saying that all um all black sort of lives matter. And just as, you know, those white women who are saying no, it's we should be fighting just for white women are going to push back against those black feminists who are saying no, like um there there are other women um that, that are not just white and we shouldn't be standardizing white women. And so, you know, this is certainly part of part of the job. A hundred percent. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because I had a charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. I also despair of what we do next. I guess that's kind of the question before I lose you to your very busy schedule of um, of arguing and lecturing and writing. Uh, what do we do? How do we move forward? I think we have to support and join organizations, centers and other entities and institutions and institutes that literally are organized to challenge racism because mm-hmm. they're going to carry us forward. We can't do it on our own. And so at least in this moment, we can make those organizations and in those, those spaces and in those institutions stronger so that they can carry on this fight when the attention of the nation shifts to something else. I think it is also helpful for us to remember that there is strength in numbers and to try to leave Black women out of this fight and to try to leave trans people out of this fight doesn't serve anyone. It leaves all of us just divided and so much easier to conquer. I think it's so important to make sure that everyone is united. I mean, I say this also speaking as an analogy for the entire left or for liberals or for anyone who just Mm -hmm. doesn't support white supremacy, that we need to make sure that we have some like semblance of organisation and unity in order to take on what's such a mammoth fight 
And so I think inclusion oh, yeah. and, and being very aware of where we direct all of our energy. I believe some of our energy needs to be spent in editing each other. Without editing, I would be such a useless fuck um, of a person and I would be so ignorant and making so many dangerous mistakes. And so I'm glad for editing, but I definitely hope that we move forward in an organized fashion where we're actually going after a target where we have an end goal in sight. Sometimes I wonder if we have an end goal when we're attacking. Like, do we actually have a plan? Do we know what we're doing, it, what, what we're doing, why we're doing it? Why are we saying this thing? Why are we getting this certain thing to trend? Well, and that's the question. Like, you, you have individuals who are building themselves. Mm-hmm. And you have individuals who are building institutions and organizations. Yeah. And, and I, I think that Oftentimes, the individuals who are building themselves are going after those who are building organizations and institutions. Um, and But those who are building institutions and organizations and, and, and centers to carry on, to literally bring, you know, create organized power that can, you know, challenge the organized power of racism. You know, we need, that's where we need to focus. You know, we can't, you know, we can't focus on destructive criticism. How can we support your anti-racist work? I know you have an anti-racist centre, which is now officially hiring and is all set up and funding is, is coming in and it feels as though you're really taking leaps forward. Uh, will you tell me as as quickly as you can before I lose you, what the centre is actually doing and how people can actually tangibly support it? Well, I mean, our centre, our BU Centre for Anti-Racist Research is is literally, we're, we're really building ourselves to track very closely racial disparities, to mm. assess the policies leading to those disparities, to propose corrective anti-racist policies to, 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 to sort of narrate those solutions and the research they're based on to the world and work very closely with advocacy groups to get those policies instituted. So really we're building these pillars of research policy, narrative and advocacy. And you can certainly, you know, donate and support, donate to our center for anti-racist research, Google it, you can find us. Um, and and certainly you can apply to work with us now. Um, and, you know, you should sort of do that. Support us, support other racial justice organizations in your own community because we need your support. Yeah, and we have, you know, powerful people saying that actually this kind of, this talk of anti-racism is in itself racist and dangerous and it isn't. It's vital to our humanity. It's vital to our growth. It's vital to our understanding of each other. And it's vital to equality. Exactly. I mean, you know, it, 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 it is those who can claim that somehow our anti-racist fight for equity and justice mm. is, is somehow racist. They clearly define racist as anyone who is challenging racism. Mm-hmm. Do you have hope? Do you have hope that in your lifetime you will see significant change after this monumental year? I do. And I I believe in order to bring about change, we have to believe it's possible. Mm -hmm. A hundred percent. I can hear your baby is uh, making herself known. Um, Before you go, a hundred (laughs) percent. Before you go, Professor Ibram Kendi, would you tell me what do you weigh? 
So I, I weigh what I'm doing for everyday people who are struggling, you know, under the knee, you know, of racism. You know, what am I doing for them? And and how am I working to change policy to 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 give them a better and freer and more just and more equitable life? That's what really this is all about. Thank you very much. I will let you get back to your baby now and uh, and to helping to save the world. <laughs> Thank you for making this time. Uh, it was a pleasure to chat to you and uh, come back anytime. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's I Weigh. I would also like to thank the team which helps me make this podcast. My producers, Sophia Jennings and Kimmy Lucas, my editor, Andrew Carson, my boyfriend, James Blake, who made the beautiful music you are hearing now, and me for my work. At iWay, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iWayPodcast at gmail.com. And remember, it's not in pounds and kilos. It's your social contributions to society or just how you define yourself in life. Here is a little message from one of our iWay listeners. iWay being a cat parent and a caretaker. I weigh the mistakes I've made and the lessons I've learned. I weigh taking care of myself even when it's hard. I weigh being a visibly proud, queer, trans and non-binary person. And I weigh being a kind, empathetic, passionate, compassionate and resilient human being. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean Every time. Because messes happen. Because... I have a charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. (laughs) No, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley. For the love of home.